ask you to speak through Pastor Wayne now as he gives your word in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. <clears throat> and greetings this morning, all of you who are in the sanctuary here at Sierra Bible Church, as well as those who are listening in online. Uh, welcome as we continue to navigate ourselves through uh, uncharted waters. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? So, you know, one thing just came to my mind a few minutes ago. 29 years ago today, I preached my first sermon as the senior pastor of Sierra Bible Church. 29 years ago today. You were hardly born yet, Leah. <laughs> Uh, was anybody here? I was four. You were four? Well, I, I know there's still a few people. Uh, you know, Brad and Pam Franklin were here. Jesse was here, but he was in the seventh grade. And uh, you know, Sharon Meyer was here. And there's, there's a few. I think there's six or seven left that uh, were still part of the church when we came in June of 1991. And I don't know where the time has gone. As I was sharing with the earlier service, you know, that last song, it just tears me up. You shouldn't do that to me before I have to preach, Deborah. But, you know, Keith Green, who wrote, Keith Green Melody actually wrote the song, and uh, his wife Melody, a dear, dear, dear friend, and he passed in a tragic accident in 1983. And... Boy, I just, I can't believe that. It seems like yesterday that we chatted and talked and prayed. In fact, I had something happen this week that was really interesting. There's been a pastor in Kansas City who's been preaching through my book, The One Another Project. And he called me last week. And it, with everything that's been happening with the whole Black Lives Matter thing and everything, he was on one of the one another's that was really going to apply during this season, and he says, before I preach it, I would like to send you my sermon notes, and I'd like you to go over them and, you know, review them for me. And the last person that sent me stuff to edit was Keith Green. Keith used to send me his articles for the last day's newsletter, and I would read them and then send them back to him and with any edits before he would end up publishing them. So that took me way, way back when... This, when Dan Hurst from Kansas City sent his sermon notes to me last week. What a, what a God we serve, what a time we're living in. And uh, I am so thankful that we serve the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we just need to understand, in a way more fully with each passing day, there is nothing of the events that are going on around us that have snuck up on God's blind side. And events that God has allowed for his purposes and for his glory, for our growth. I truly believe that Colossians chapter 3, that it says, our lives are hidden with God in Christ. Nothing is allowed to touch the life of the believer that is not allowed by God for those two purposes, our growth and maturation and his glory. And he's in control all the way. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. This morning we want to talk about the triumph that we find in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
I'm going to continue on in Exodus. If you go to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. <clears throat> and if you are able, uh, you can stand. I want you to know that the first time this was done, it was done with tambourines and singing and dancing. So if you want to sing and dance while we read this, that's okay too. I want to give us just a little bit of a context, so I'm going to back up to verse 30 of chapter 14. Of course, you know that the children of Israel have just uh, crossed the Red Sea, and that's where this song comes from. It's a song of victory. It's a song of triumph in the Lord their God. Verse 30 of chapter 14, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them, and they went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury, consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew your wind, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble, Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone. Till your people pass, till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased, you will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. 
the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing, and Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Father, 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 let us embrace these words today. Over the last weeks we have heard of the trials and tribulations and the times of testing and pestilence and famine and plague they were experienced by Egypt and the children of Israel who were within its borders at that time. And yet today, we read a song that was written as they had been delivered and their adversaries destroyed. And Father, we live in a day and age that the adversaries are many. We find ourselves at times during this season between the rock and the hard place and we don't know which way to turn. But Father, we have seen today you are the God who leads your people into triumph if they will trust in you. And Father, this song was not just meant for the children of Israel to sing on the heels of their deliverance. It's our song too, given from you, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Open our eyes, open our ears. Open our spiritual comprehensions that we may hear this day what the Spirit would say to his church. It's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. You may be seated. This is an incredible song. And I hope you'll take some time this week and return to it a few times and, and digest it a, a line at a time, a verse at a time. It is so very rich. Because this song commemorates the greatest deliverance in the history of the nation of Israel. For 430 years, they were slaves in that nation. And they have now been delivered by the hand of God. They've been brought out after the Passover angel has, has passed over Egypt, taking the lives of the firstborn of all of those who did not have the blood on the lintel and the doorpost of their house. And let me tell you this, this song, as ancient as it is, is still being sung in Jewish services today. But to truly appreciate it, I think a little review is necessary. Because you can't appreciate something like this unless you understand the people that are singing it and what it is they have come out of. In last week's sermon from Exodus 14, Pastor Jesse reminded us that Israel now finds themselves in chapter 14 between the proverbial rock and a hard place. After Pharaoh had freed the Hebrews, after his land was devastated by the plagues and then their hearts broken by the death of the firstborn in every house, 
Pharaoh told them to get, get out of here. In fact, his words were, take your flocks, take your herds, and be gone. I don't know how many days later it was that he woke up and panic seized his heart because uh, he woke up one day and he goes, what have we done? Well, in the least, he, he just collapsed the economy of his country. The Bible tells us that when the children of Israel left Egypt, there were 600,000 men who were of fighting age. 600,000 men besides the women and children. The workforce for Egypt was just sent away. There was a giant sucking sound in the land of Egypt as two million plus people just left town with all of their livestock. And after a few days, Pharaoh wakes up and goes, what have we done? And so he summons his generals and he says, go after them and bring them back. And the text tells us that that 600 choice chariots, that would be like the Sherman tank of the day, and then other chariots, and then his whole army headed into the wilderness to regroup and regather the children of Israel and bring them back. So, here's the plight of Israel in the chapter. On one side, the most powerful army on the face of the earth is bearing down on them, but to their back is the Red Sea. And as they are standing in that place, as it were, quaking in their sandals, Moses spoke this word to them. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. You hear the admonitions of that one verse? They are the same thing that God would speak to every heart that is finding themselves betwixt and between the rock and the hard places of this day. Fear not. Stand firm. Be silent, and the Lord will fight for you. Fear not, stand firm, be silent, and the Lord will fight for you. This passage reminds me of Paul's exhortation to the Ephesians in Ephesians 6.13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, stand firm. He says, put on the armor, hold high the sword and the shield, and then stand. Stand. Or as the psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. You see, in times like this, our tendency is to run in little tight circles. Our tendency is to try to figure out how I can spring myself 
from this prison of fear and doubt and confusion. And God's saying, be still and know that I am God. So what happens next after they get this admonition? Well, the cloud that was before them, the text says, it raised up and it went behind them and it settled like a curtain between them and Pharaoh's army. And here's the interesting thing. This cloud raises up, comes back, settles down, and on the Egyptian side of the cloud, it's darkness and confusion. And on the Israeli side of the cloud, it's light and protection. Same cloud. Same cloud. Then the Bible tells us that a strong east wind blew all night long and that it cut a channel through the Red Sea from the side on which the Israelis stood to the side of freedom. Now, you know, there's, there's only a couple problems with the Exodus. Now, I believe every word that's written in here, but these events took longer than it takes us to read them. I mean, I believe with all my heart that the plagues probably took a couple years. There was the plague and the devastation. There was some restoration. There was plague and devastation. There was restoration. There was plague and devastation. I don't think the plagues all came and hammered them in the amount of time that it takes you and me to read them. And this is another one of those places that we've got to stop and go, really? What really took place here? Taking this people across the Red Sea was not like taking our congregation across the Truckee River. First of all, the place that the Israelites crossed on the Red Sea was about the same width as Lake Tahoe. 10 to 12 miles. Okay? So the east wind has blown all night long and it cuts a channel 10 or 12 miles long across this arm of the Red Sea. And then into that channel pour two million plus people and all their livestock. Men and women and children. They didn't do this in 30 minutes or half a day. This event could have taken several days for two million people and their livestock and their children to pass through. But what God has done, and here's the the great thing, it tells us here that we know this much. As all this is happening and they're beginning to, to go into that channel, God looked down from heaven on the Egyptian forces and threw them into a panic. There was disarray in the camp of the Egyptians in darkness. As the children of Israel move into that 12 miles. Are you with me? It's incredible to read this. It's incredible to to stop and and sense in our heart the enormity of what's going down here. Now the Bible tells us that when the children of Israel did come out on the other side, 
and they turned that this is what they saw. They saw the walls of water that had stood on their right and left collapse and in one fell swoop drown the greatest army on the face of the earth at that time. And one of the things that is said back there talks about they got to witness dead Egyptian soldiers washing up on the beach. Oh, come on, people. Slip your sandals on and climb into this. Because when we understand this, chapter 15 becomes all that more glorious. The deliverance, we understand why they're dancing. We understand why they're singing. We understand why they are celebrating. So what do they do next? After the waters come back in, they start singing and they start dancing. The Bible tells us that Miriam and the women grabbed their tambourines and began to dance and began to sing. And they sang, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider thrown into the sea. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider thrown into the sea. And if you go back to verse 1, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him. My Father's God. I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. And the Lord is his name. Wow. Hello? Anybody out here? Wow. We can even say it backwards. Wow. Thanks, Deborah. One, one person awake in here. This is incredible. And you know how incredible it is? Nobody would have guessed as they sang that song for the first time that it was going to top the charts. Nobody could have guessed at that time when they first sang that song that as a golden oldie, it would be sung again and again and again and again in the courts of heaven by the redeemed of the ages who have passed on become part of Christ. Church triumphant. Turn with me to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 15. I was so excited when Jesse asked me this week to preach this from this passage because our community group for the last few months has been studying the Revelation and we had just finished this passage. I mean, I was ready to go. Let me at them. I was ready for you guys about three days ago. Where were you? But look at Revelation 15, verse 2. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its names standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. Hang on here. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. In heaven right now, the church triumphant is singing before the throne of the Lamb 
the Song of Moses. <laughs> I mean, this is crazy. And it doesn't say they sang the Song of Moses. It says they sing the Song of Moses. And that's the Song of Moses we just read from the 15th chapter of Exodus. But they don't only sing the Song of Moses, they sing another song that's about glorious triumph, and it's the Song of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you read on, it says, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations, who will not fear the Lord and glorify your name. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. Oh my. Again, I invite you when you leave here today or when you, 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 you move from your computer screen or television, for those of you who are watching online or at home, don't move away from these words very quickly. Because they are the words that are filled with hope and promise for us who are at this present time navigating waters for which we have no chart. I used to run Whitewater in Moab, Utah when we lived there. The green in the Colorado rivers. And most of the time we had a map and it said around this next bend is the next rapid and it's a this class rapid and you better stop and check it out before you go through or here's a little riffle and it's not going to take much. But in 1983, the Green River in Utah peaked at its highest in recorded history and, the, and a river that usually runs about 1,500 to 2,000 CFM per minute was running 11,000 CFM per minute. And we kicked in up near Vernal, Utah, just below Flaming Gorge Reservoir. And we rode it all the way to Green River, Utah. And the thing that was interesting, we had a map, but it was absolutely worthless. This kind of water hadn't flown down that river ever before. And so there was places, they said there was rapids, and there was nothing there because there was just so much water. It was, it was high up over the rocks, and no riffles were being created. And then there was other places where there had been nothing before, but there was stuff that would scare the pants off of you. In fact, somebody once said that river running is hours of sheer boredom punctuated by moments of extreme terror. And that's how that ride was. And you could hear the echoing up the canyon wall of, of big water flying ahead. But we had no way of knowing about it and knowing where they were because this water was uncharted. And that's where we're at as a people today. That's where we're at as a nation today. We are navigating a river that is uncharted. We don't know what's around the next corner. And just as soon as it seems like we're breaking into the, into the clear just a little bit, then all of this racial stuff begins to happen. And people are tearing up our towns and, and occupying our courthouses. I mean, where does it stop? That wasn't in the script. Over my 43 years as a pastor, there were times I felt the nudge of the Holy Spirit 
to teach on a certain topic or to teach through a certain book. And many times in the time of preparation, I was unsure of his purposes until somewhere along the way, he opened up something to me and I would say, oh, now I see why. Now, I haven't talked to Pastor Jesse about this, but I dare guess when Pastor Jesse began to plan a sermon series through the book of Exodus, he had no idea what lay ahead. COVID-19 was not on his radar screen. But you know what? It was on God's. And with each passing Sunday since the end of March, I have stood back in awe at what God has been speaking to us during this very strange and uncertain time. And I hope it hasn't been lost on you, my brothers and sisters, that over these weeks, through through Pastor Jesse, through Brad Beer, and hopefully maybe a little bit today myself, That God has been bearing his heart to us. He's been saying, here it is. Look and see. He's showing us from his word that he can be trusted. He's showing us from his word that he can be trusted on the mountaintop when everything is hunky-dory. And he can also be trusted in the deepest, darkest valleys when life is throwing curveballs at us around every corner. And today, I know in my heart of hearts, there are those under the sound of my voice, either in this room or online, who feel as if they've been caught between a rock and a hard place. And I speak to you today the God of Exodus 15 is still with us. The writer of Hebrews says he is the God who is the same yesterday, today, and yes, forever. There's no turning of shadow in him. He is what he was, he was what he is, and he is the same. It's the same. And his promise to those who love him, his promise to his children is, I will never leave you or forsake you. The same God who spoke to Israel in their hard spot. Fear not. Stand firm. Be silent. I will fight for you. Is present today and longing to lead you into his glorious triumph. God is longing this day to lead you through your personal Red Sea and drown behind you fear and doubt 
and confusion. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, Come unto me, all you who, are la- who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He also said, Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened. I was reading this week from my beloved Oswald, and he wrote this. Have you come to Jesus? Watch the stubbornness of your own heart. You will do anything rather than this one childlike thing. Come to Jesus. And that may sound silly, but I want you to know, in my 43 years of pastoral ministry, I've known many people over the years who would rather complain about their predicament than lay it all down at the feet of Jesus and put it in his control. They'd rather hang on and be in control and be miserable than humble themselves and surrender it all and lay it at the feet of the Savior who says, come, and I will give you rest. Many years ago when I was pastoring in Moab, Utah, we had a woman in our church that was basically an invalid and bedfast. For so long, I mean, the only time I ever visited with her was in her bed in her house. I never saw her out of a nightgown. And God miraculously touched her and raised her from that bed of affliction. And all of a sudden, she's coming to church with her husband, and she's got real clothes on, real church clothes. The the nightgown is gone. She's walking upright. She's walking solidly, and she comes... And all of a sudden, a couple weeks later, she was back in bed. She had taken what the Lord gave her and put it and shoved it back into his face. You know why? She no longer got the attention that she got when she was in that bed. When she was up and around and moving, people had a different expectation. And here's a woman who went back to Egypt in a real way. She had been in Egypt. God took her through the Red Sea and brought her out. And you know, and Keith Green had a great song too. It's called, So You Want to Go Back to Egypt. And the sad part is there are Christians today who are finding themselves in situations that they don't like a bit. But they're unwilling to let go of the control and humble themselves at the foot of an old rugged cross and let Jesus have it all. So Oswald says, it's not a silly question when we said, have you, will you come to Jesus? Because there are some who won't. They're more comfortable in their predicament, which they feel like they're in some kind of control, than surrendering it all and putting it in the master's hands. And I want to say to you today, those of you who may find yourself between this rock and hard place, and those of you who are struggling to letting go, you don't like where you are, and and anybody near you knows it. You know what I mean? Everybody around you knows it because you're telling them about it. 
But until you surrender that up to God, he will not part your Red Sea and bring you out on the far bank singing and dancing of his glorious triumph. But if you will, one day you'll find yourself on the far shore singing and dancing in celebration. Exalting in a victory that God has wrought because you finally came to the place where you stood firm, kept silent, and let God fight for you. My friends, when the Lord Jesus went to the cross, he not only bore your sin, he also bore your shame and your sorrows and your fears. Isaiah says, he was wounded for our transgressions. There's our sins. He was chastised for your peace. That's, that's, that takes care of the mental part, that rest and peace that we have within. And he was wounded for our healing. Spirit, soul, and body find their healing and their ultimate victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I ask you today as we bring this time to a close, those of you who are finding your place, yourself between the rock and the hard place, will you let God part your Red Sea today? Will you be still? Stand fast. Be quiet and find out he indeed is God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I love this book. We see your children going through trials, and we see that when they place their trust in you, you provide. Backs against the Red Sea, you brought them through. In the middle of a wilderness where there was no water, you brought water from a rock. Where there was no food and a couple million to feed, manna fell from heaven. Quail flew into the camp and gave them meat. At every turn, you, you, you met them. At every turn. And I just pray today that you will speak to this people, the ones in this room, the ones who are watching online, and let them know the God of the Israelites who delivered them and brought them through the Red Sea to victory is here right now. Ready to take us from our rock in a hard place position and open up a supernatural channel for us that we might move on to victory and join the Israelites in shouting, The Lord the Lord. The Lord, He is God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.